News, laws, and regulations are changing by the day. We get it. And at ADP, we're here to help guide you with up-to-the-minute compliance expertise so you can pay your people accurately and on time, regardless of what each new day may bring. Learn more at ADP.com. Another 4.4 million people filed for unemployment last week. We're now up to around 26 million people, which is just staggering. It's, it's roughly 20% of the U.S. workforce. Why that's starting to put pressure on state coffers. Plus, the challenges of preventing the spread of coronavirus among the homeless. Some of them have been homeless for many years, and you would think, well, coming to a hotel is going to be positive, but you're taking them out of the comfort zone. Even though it's dysfunctional, it's still what they know. It's Thursday, April 23rd. I'm Anne-Marie Fertoli for The Wall Street Journal. Here's what's news. Lockdowns and social distancing measures dealt a massive blow to business activity in the U.S., Europe, and Japan this month. New surveys of purchasing managers show an unprecedented drop in services sector activity, including at restaurants. Manufacturing activity is also contracting, though not as severely. Overall declines are larger than economists expected, suggesting there will be deeper contractions in the second quarter than originally thought. New York Governor Andrew Cuomo says preliminary results from a coronavirus antibody study showed that 14 percent of people tested in the state and 21 percent in New York City had antibodies for the coronavirus, meaning they had contracted COVID-19. That's a much higher rate than previously believed. It could be because of the lack of testing available and the fact that people can be infected and not show any symptoms. But similar studies in California have been criticized by epidemiologists who say the testing methods could have inflated the results. The New York tests were performed at big box and grocery stores. And we report that Amazon employees have used data collected about third-party sellers on its marketplace to develop competing products. That includes information that can help Amazon decide how to price an item, which features to copy and whether to enter a product segment based on its earning potential. For its part, the company says it restricts the people that run its private label group from accessing individual sellers' data. But in interviews, former employees and a current one said those rules weren't always evenly enforced. Amazon says it's launched an internal investigation into the matter. For more on this exclusive story, visit WSJ.com or check out tomorrow's Tech News Briefing podcast wherever you get your podcasts. A payroll and HR company needs to be prepared for whatever is going to happen. You could say that over 70 years of experience helping businesses all over the world run smoothly is good preparation. But for ADP, that's not enough. To make sure millions of people are getting paid on time and in compliance, we're staying on top of each new piece of legislation. So when it comes down to it, ADP isn't just a payroll and HR company. We're the company that helps you navigate the complexities. ADP, HR talent, time, benefits, and payroll. Informed by data and designed for people. Jobless figures are out, and it's been another tough week, with about 4.4 million Americans filing for unemployment. That's less than the previous week but it brings the total number of jobless claims during the pandemic to more than 26 million so far. Joining me now with more details is Wall Street Journal chief economics correspondent Greg Ipp. Greg, what do these numbers say about the trend in jobless claims? Are we seeing a blip or are we on the decline? 
Well, any number this high is really bad news because, remember, these are initial claims. These are people who have gotten a claim for the very first time. So it's telling you there are 4 million more people who are basically entering the unemployment insurance system than a week ago. So the total number of people, we're now up to around 26 million people, which is just staggering. It's it's roughly 20% of the U.S. workforce. The fact that the number came down a bit, little bit from last week probably shows you that we're working through most of the initial claimants. States have put in a lot of systems in the last few weeks to try and handle the crush of claims. Washington State revamped their computer systems on Saturday and Sunday alone, got more claims than they usually do in a full week. So I would say that on the one hand, this week's report is probably picking up some of the delayed claims from before, and people who are not getting through this week, they'll show up in coming weeks. But I would expect the weekly tally to keep moving down from here. How are states and local governments affected by this? This is going to put a lot of pressure on state and local governments. They're seeing their tax revenue really be walloped by the fact that people aren't going to the stores, employees are getting laid off. You have other things layered on top of that. The federal government has delayed the tax filing deadline by several months. That'll delay the time when states are going to get their income tax payments as well. And then, as we talked about, the unemployment insurance system, the uh, there are two parts to the benefits people will get. There's the regular payments, which are funded by the states, and the bonus payment, which is funded by the federal government. The states don't have to worry about that bonus part, but they do have to worry about coming up with their part of the continuing amount. The way the system works is that over time, employers are supposed to pay payroll taxes that make up for any claims that were made during bad times. But that's going to be quite a few years from now before that's made up. In the meantime, it creates a huge deficit hole for these states. Some have applied to the federal government for an interest-free loan to help tide them over. But in the meantime, it creates a lot of pressure on them. Why are states asking for help from the federal government? Well, even beyond the problems with the UI system, the states are going to be facing very large budget holes this year with uh, expenditures for things like Medicaid going up and revenues from things like sales and income tax going down. States aren't supposed to run budget deficits, so that means that without some additional source of money, they'll have to either raise taxes or start rolling, furloughing and laying off employees. And that'll just, number one, make the economy worse, and number two, really deprive people living in those states of necessary services. So you've seen governors from both parties ask the federal government for aid, uh, just straight cash aid to help them make ends meet so that they don't have to go that austerity route. And that'll be a central bargaining fight in the possibly next round of federal stimulus that Congress is going to work on. That's Wall Street Journal chief economics correspondent Greg Ipp. Cities and states across the country are working to control the spread of coronavirus. That's especially hard to do among their homeless populations who face unique challenges. Crowded sites where people shelter can become breeding grounds for the virus to spread. For a closer look, our senior Midwest correspondent Joe Barrett spent some time with a doctor who's working to care for Chicago's homeless population. Joe, tell us about the doctor you spoke with, Dr. Thomas Huggett, and the work he does in Chicago. Yeah, I spent a day with this Dr. Thomas Huggett. He is living in a hotel that the city has arranged to take over during the crisis. He goes out into shelters and he finds the people who are most vulnerable to getting really bad complications if they if they did contract coronavirus. So anybody over 60 or has underlying health conditions, um, they're really trying to round them up and get them out of the shelters and put them someplace where they can be in a hotel room by themselves and get decent care and um, you know make sure that they, they haven't got it, they don't get sick, uh, and if they do, that they're, you know, they're being monitored and um, taken good care of. 
So, Joe, you witnessed the interactions the doctor has with the homeless population in Chicago. Tell us a little bit of what you witnessed. How does he relate to them and convince them to accept what he's offering? Yeah, he goes into these uh, shelters with just a surgical mask covering his face, and uh, he gives a, you know, kind of a standard pitch. You can hear a little bit of it right here on a clip. When you go, you will also be tested for the coronavirus. Sometimes it's hard to get testing, right? They always say, oh, we don't have enough tests, we don't have enough tests, but we will have testing for you because you you guys are very special people to us. He also then tells the people, you know, they really do have to stay in their rooms. They can't go walk through the hallways or go for a smoking break. But he does have this sweetener at the end. He tells them, you know what, I'm also staying in the hotel with you and I'll, I'll be living in the same place and I'll be taking care of you guys. Joe, tell me about the shelters that Dr. Huggett is going into. So some of these places are really huge. There'll be 200 men sleeping in a room together in bunk beds that are three high. One of the clients, uh, Wayne Smith, can tell you more about it. It's really stuffed in there. I mean, I don't put the place down. It's a nice place. I mean, any place other than being on the street is good. But, I mean, it's really dangerous at a time like this with this coronavirus thing going around. So Wayne actually was among the first round of people who went to the hotel because it was suspected that he had a case of COVID. He wasn't feeling well. But as it turned out, he he was not positive for coronavirus. And that puts him in a little bit of a dilemma because they can't send him back to a shelter where there is there are still cases because they don't want him to get sick. So now they're trying to find permanent housing for him. And that's a whole nother challenge. Uh, They're already finding there's a little bit of stigma around people who have been through a program like this at the time of coronavirus. But the doctor said that he would do his best to uh, try to um, work for him and, uh, you know, that he would really fight for him. But Joe, not everybody accepts the offers Dr. Huggard is making. You found there's some hesitancy among the population he's trying to help. Why is that? Tell us about it. Well, I think that they're, they've become used to this routine, and some of them are just kind of paranoid. They're afraid that the government is going to kind of take over their lives. But one of the nurses, Heather Duncan, explains it really well. This is the first time that I've been anxious in years. I'm not anxious about scabies and bed bugs and TB and anything else, but it actually made me a little anxious. In 30 years of working in homeless shelters, we've never had this level of um, anxiety among the patients. Just that uncertainty, and they're in a shelter, and some of them have been homeless for many years, and you would think, well, coming to a hotel is going to be positive, but you're taking them out of the comfort zone. Even though it's dysfunctional, it's still what they know. So you amp up the anxiety about coming somewhere new on top of it. Joe, this also speaks to the challenges around dealing with this pandemic, not just among the homeless population in Chicago, but in other cities that are experiencing this as well. Yeah, cities around the country are all dealing with the same same issues. They want to make sure that the homeless people are as protected as they can because they don't want them to be crowding the hospitals and they don't want them to be on the street where they could infect other people. Boston has a very uh, robust program where they're sending people by van, by, you know, with drivers in full PPE gear, just taking them to different places where some of them are, they're sort of separated into different categories. And then in San Francisco, they're running thousands and thousands of hotel rooms for the homeless. Joe, what else did you learn in reporting this story? You know, these people were just so heroic and admirable. Uh, You know, you don't usually (laughs) 
get to say that as a journalist, but uh, I think everybody would agree that what they were doing is really amazing. I, I myself went into the, this shelter, you know, with with a mask on, and uh, when I when we went into a patient's room, I had on full PPE gear, but just as a precaution, the paper had me stay in a hotel for two weeks so that I wouldn't infect my family. And it just really brings home the fact that people who are doing the really serious work are facing incredible risks, and um, it's it's quite moving to be involved in that for just a day. Wall Street Journal senior Midwest correspondent Joe Barrett, thank you so much. Thank you. And finally, what are people buying during the pandemic? We're starting to get a better picture from the world's biggest consumer products companies. Procter & Gamble says Americans are doing more laundry, and paper towels and plastic wipes are still big sellers. But Unilever's CEO says consumers are skimping on those personal care items. They're buying less shampoo and less deodorant. One decline I found personally surprising, there's been a drop in ice cream sales. Ice cream! But that's because treats aren't being sold at parks, beaches, and other ice cream hotspots. And that's what's news for this Thursday afternoon. I'm Anne-Marie Fertoli for The Wall Street Journal. Thanks for listening.